This is Mary Smigelski. I'm here with my partner and co-chair of the Illinois Biometric Information Privacy Practice, Josh Cantro, for our next episode of the BIPA Radar. And today we want to talk about a fascinating Supreme Court decision that just came down from the Illinois Supreme Court, as well as introduce two of our amazing colleagues, Sean Schechter from our Fort Lauderdale office and Darren Watts from our Washington, D.C office, who will join us to talk about the intersection of biometrics and AI. But first, let's talk about what the Supreme Court did. Mary, great to be back with you. And I'm really happy and excited to have our colleagues with us because we're going to have some good episodes here for you. Uh, But first of all, we're going to start with something that the Illinois Supreme Court did a week ago in a highly anticipated decision, Mosby versus the Ingalls Memorial Hospital, where the Illinois Supreme Court issued an opinion that was in response to nearly two identical certified questions from the Illinois Appellate Court on the use of OR in Section 10 of BIPA. That section states, in relevant part, Biometric identifiers do not include information captured from a patient in a healthcare setting or information collected, used, or stored for healthcare treatment, payment, or operations under BIPA. And the Supreme Court was asked to determine whether the language following or in Section 10 refers exclusively to a patient's biometric information or includes a healthcare worker's biometric information when allegedly used to access patient medication dispensing systems in connection with patient care. Now, this is the first Illinois Supreme Court opinion that addresses the exceptions to BIPA. So it was highly anticipated and watched. And the background of the cases involved two registered nurses who allegedly scanned their fingers to access a medication dispensing system in connection with patient treatment. And they brought suit under BIPA as a result of that. In both cases, the circuit courts denied motions to dismiss and ruled that the exemption applies only to patient information, not to information regarding healthcare workers. And that opinion by the trial court was affirmed on appeal, which found that only patients' biometric information was excluded under the healthcare exemption. But critically, this appeal, it was a three-judge panel. Two judges ruled in favor of the plaintiffs, but there was a vigorous dissent by presiding judge Mary Mikva, who happens to be also an incredibly well-respected justice in the state of Illinois. Her father, Abner Mikva, was a longtime federal judge who also was well-respected and worked in various Democratic administrations as well. And her dissent asserted that the exclusion under Section 10 extends to biometric information collected from healthcare workers by their employers when that information is collected, used, or stored for healthcare treatment, payment, or operations. And so that's 
kind of the background of the case, and I'm going to turn it over to Mary to talk about what the Illinois Supreme Court did with these certified questions. So the Illinois Supreme Court took up this case on the certified questions and really looked very closely at the plain language of the statute. And the plain language is crystal clear as far as statutory construction goes. So the court relied on longstanding jurisprudence in Illinois to say that indeed there are parts of the statute that modify other parts of the statute and looked at it in accordance with Illinois law. What it ultimately held is that it does exclude from its protections the biometric information of healthcare workers where that information is collected, used, or stored for healthcare treatment payment or operations as these functions are defined in HIPAA. So it doesn't mean that any healthcare worker is excluded. It means that healthcare workers who are involved in those functions are excluded. And the court did make that very clear. So for example, a timekeeping system or some other type of biometric technology used in a healthcare setting may not be excluded. It's going to depend on the specific circumstances. Exactly. And the plaintiffs in that case and the majority opinion in the appellate court both were saying this could open the floodgates, this exception could be treated too broadly. And the Illinois Supreme Court made clear that it it can't be, that it's limited to certain circumstances. And I think it was critical that it was a majority decision. That's pretty rare. Yes, absolutely. And it was Judge Justice Overstreet who wrote the opinion. And again, similar to the last writings that he had on BIPA, very, very well reasoned. Yeah. And I meant to say unanimous decision. So it was seven to nothing in that case, which was significant. And also significant was this was the first win for the defense bar at the Illinois Supreme Court level. I think this was like the fifth Illinois Supreme Court case on BEPA, and it was the first win by the defendants. And I think we're going to see additional wins that start coming up because for a long time, the trial court cases were stayed. So nothing was happening. There were these fundamental initial questions that rose to the Supreme Court, but now these cases are proceeding forward in litigation. And a lot of the cases involving these medication dispensing systems were stayed at the circuit court level as well. And those now presumably are going to be dismissed based on this decision. And we also see that defendants, and we're certainly doing this in our practice, are raising all sorts of defenses that have not been tested yet, at least at the appellate court level. Some have gone through trial courts. And so the Illinois Supreme Court's going to have an opportunity, I think, to address those defenses as well, because I suspect that there will be perhaps differing opinions coming down from various courts. And one of the ways to get to the Illinois Supreme Court is when you have a split in circuit authority. Absolutely. And now that these cases are truly being litigated at the circuit court level, we expect to see more of that. And a lot of the cases that have risen up thus far have been on motions to dismiss. But Josh and I have been litigating these things all the way along while a lot of cases were stayed. So we have had cases that have concluded discovery in BIPA and are now proceeding forward with class certification. And one of our cases actually has been accepted for interlocutory appeal by the first district 
because the circuit court, in our opinion, made a grave error in certifying the class because the class in that case is a class of people who do not fall under BIPA. It's simply a situation that is not regulated by the plain language of BIPA. And the appellate court took that case up. So that's a bit of good news as well. And just to back up a second, let's talk about the importance of class certification. In a prior episode, we talked about class actions generally and then how they apply to BIPA, why they're so important. And I just want to remind folks that this is just absolutely key to trying to stop these cases from really causing serious potential damages. Classes are when a bunch of people get together and sue. And if a class is certified in the BIPA context, we've seen classes certified over 100,000 individuals easily. And when you multiply the potential damages there, it can be astronomical. Right, particularly in light of the Supreme Court's decision in the White Castle case, where they said it could be every scan is a separate violation at either $1,000 a pop or $5,000 a pop. Exactly. And so we have taken that holding by the Illinois Supreme Court, which we have addressed in detail in prior episodes, so I'm not going to regurgitate it here, but we have used that to argue that, hey, one of the requirements in federal court for certifying a class is the burden is on the plaintiff to show that a class action is superior to an individual action. And one of the factors that courts under longstanding precedent that predate BIPA look at is whether there is a significant incentive for an individual to sue. And if there's not uh, a significant incentive to sue individually, that can weigh in favor of certifying a class. So we have argued in several cases now, none of which have been decided, but they're up, uh, fully briefed, and we're awaiting decisions, is that there is a huge individual incentive to sue now in light of the Cothrone decision, which holds that every time an employee scans in and out of work can lead to separate uh, potential damages. And so you could have an employee, for example, who works at a factory who scans in and out of work four times a day, and I'm including lunch breaks. And that employee works 250 days at the plant, and they've been there for five years, which is the BIPA statute of limitations. You multiply that out, and you're talking tens of millions of potential damages. So there is now an individual incentive to sue. And in fact, we have seen after the Cothrone decision that there are individual suits now that are proceeding where they're not seeking class action status, where individuals are saying, hey, you owe me tens of millions of dollars because I scanned in and out of work thousands of times. That's absolutely right, Josh. Initially, we were seeing only the class actions, and those class actions were settling at, you know, a wide variety of ranges, but let's say $1,000 per class member as an average. And the basis of that was that you could not get 
significant damages. And now that's entirely different. And we're seeing a lot of demand letters, a lot of individual lawsuits, a lot of people claiming that they deserve these types of high level of damages. And similar to the federal courts, the Illinois courts require certain elements to be satisfied for a class action to be certified. First, it is indeed the plaintiff's burden of proof, just like it is in federal court. And before you even get to class certification, one of the questions near and dear to my heart is, does BIPA even cover the situation? Because it's axiomatic that you cannot certify a class if a statute doesn't cover it. It would be like saying, well, there's no asbestos in a product, but we are going to certify a class of people who had that product because of asbestos-related injuries. It simply does not make sense. And that's not a merits inquiry. It's simply a fundamental inquiry threshold question, which the courts in Illinois have said very clearly before you get to the plated burden of proof on the actual elements of a class action. Very interesting. And th there are some other related challenges that we're making class certification, one of which is that common issues do not predominate over individual ones. Again, it's the plaintiff's burden to show that um, common issues predominate over individual ones. And here, in light of the fact that you can have per scan damages, but coupled with the admonition in the Cathrone decision that BIPA should not destroy a defendant's business, plus the 14th Amendment's due process concerns. You have a situation where if one employee scanned in 10 times and another employee scanned in 1,000 times and another one scanned in 10,000 times, and you have a class of 50,000 people and they all have wide varieties in terms of the amount of scans, how do you determine if liability is proven, how much damages each of those individuals should get? And to build on that point, the other individualized inquiries are in that circumstance, maybe 50% of those individuals signed a consent at some point. Maybe that consent varied over time. Maybe they had different information from different managers at different times, or there's a wide variety of other issues that can come into play. Absolutely. That's a great point on all of those. And another that we're seeing is the application of waiver and estoppel. So yes, BIPA does require signed written consent allowing the use of someone's biometric information. But we have seen cases and we have deposition testimony of lead plaintiffs in some of our cases where they say, I didn't sign anything in writing, but I knew about BIPA. The statute's 15 years old now. I certainly knew about BIPA, and I was coming into work every day, clocking in and out of work using my fingerprint, and I knew all the time about BIPA, and I waited three or four years to bring a lawsuit. Well, there are common law doctrines called waiver and estoppel that could apply here, and so that could knock out some of the putative classes' claims as well. Right, absolutely. And some of those circumstances are even present with the putative class representative. And that individual has a duty to the class so that they can protect the interests of the class and fairly and adequately represent them. Right. And so that's another line of attack 
that is related to say that this named class representative is not an adequate class representative. And again, that's the burden is on the plaintiffs to show that this named plaintiff is adequate. And what we're seeing quite a bit of is the named plaintiff popping up in more than one lawsuit, because some of these plaintiffs in the BIPA cases have hopped from employer to employer, apparently looking for biometric technology so that they could bring these lawsuits. Yes, absolutely. All right. So at this point, we would like to bring in our colleagues, Sean and Darren, as we mentioned earlier, to talk about how AI intersects with biometrics. We've certainly heard a lot about artificial intelligence. It's been in the news. It's been highly covered. There's lots of different opinions about it, about whether it's going to doom humanity or whether it's going to free us up and be the greatest thing ever. I have no idea on that topic, but we're here to talk about how AI intersects with BIPA. And it absolutely does. The AI software that is in use has become a target of those with BIPA complaints. And we understand that about 30, 36% of the BIPA filings now involve some type of AI. And we are very, very fortunate to have two partners who are truly involved at the ground roots of AI. We've got Sean from Fort Lauderdale, who is Mr. AI, I would have to say. And we have Darren, who has been a lobbyist, who has been involved in federal, state, local government issues for more years than I can count. So the two of them are certainly those who can give us a great background on that, as well as what Lewis Brisboy can do to help you. So without further ado, Sean, Darren, say hello. Hello, everybody. Hello, Mary. And I like the Mr. AI. I'm going to make a, a shirt that says Mr. AI. I don't know if my wife will let me wear it, but I like the idea of being called Mr. AI. I'm going to run with that. And I'm pleased to be in Chicago, even if it's December, even if it's uh, a little cold outside. It's great to be here and it's great to be with you guys to talk about this topic. Well, and Sean has family in Chicago and Darren is actually from Chicago. Born in Chicago and got blessed again with a little bit of a flurry this morning. Isn't that so it's, Chicago? It's just for you. <laughs> we have a decision point here. We can either talk about our discussion about the Cubs and the World Series last night or we can go into BIPA and AI, although it was great to be with you all. And like a true Chicago meeting, we talked to, about Chicago sports and the current state of affairs. Which was essentially lamenting the sad state of affairs uh, with our teams. Pretty much with all of them. <laughs> yes, all five. <laughs> and I think that's a great that's a great segue because one of the things we talked about last night and what is going to be, I think, really a motto of Darren and I's and the firm's podcast on AI is, you know, since we are in the city of, of the Blackhawks, the great Blackhawks, the motto of understanding AI and the intersection of how it, the law is going to treat it is the great Wayne Gretzky quote, skate to where the puck is going to be, not where it has been. When we look at where the puck's going to be on BIPA and AI, we have a case uh, that was decided last year. Carpenter versus McDonald's. To me, that case in the Northern District of Illinois is really key because it goes to the heart of BIPA and AI, the intersection. Brief overview of those issues are that the employee basically said that the patent that the defendants had, McDonald's had, showed that they had bought a AI technology company and they were collecting 
voice information to train their large language model. And that is what you see across the industry. You have corporations who are trying to train their large language models so that they can increase productivity and get ahead of the curve. And these large language models suck up all this data, all this data, either buy data or they suck up the data that they have at their fingertips. And the real key issue is whether that data, those voice recordings are in violation of BIPA and a voice print. And in that case, even though McDonald's said, hey, there is no biometric information here, it's anonymous, the court said, well, the plaintiff has enough to argue that potentially that collection of that recording is actually a voice print and could violate BIPA. And that was another case that was on a motion to dismiss. So a lot of these arguments have not been flushed out. So even though we have these preliminary decisions, it is going to take some time to go through discovery and have the actual decisions on what do these things mean. In the meantime, of course, AI is developing extremely rapidly. Yeah, and I would expect there would be experts retained by the parties to evaluate whether some of these voice prints are really voice prints are more akin to voicemails, whether they really fall under BIPA or not. But the important thing is that we're just seeing this huge evolution. And Mary and I have talked about this on other podcasts, away from the time clock cases involving alleged fingerprints to now other things, facial recognition, facial geometry, and now voice prints to being a focus of the uh, plaintiff's bar moving forward. Well, and my big question is, how is this going to be regulated? What's going on with that? And that's interesting. (laughs) Speaking of skating to the puck, (laughs) it seems like every level of government is trying to figure this out right now. Talk about skating to where the puck is. From the White House to every state house and even some local governments, and of course, the regulator of all regulators, the plaintiff's bar, (laughs) they're all figuring out what they think about this. And if you look at the segue from biometrics and BIPA into AI, the FTC even tipped us off earlier this year in May when they issued a warning about the misuses of biometric information and harm to consumers, where they said, you know, the increasing use of consumer biometric information and related technologies, including those powered by machine learning, raises significant consumer privacy and data security concerns and the potential for bias and discrimination. Well, they were tying the two together, so it's a perfect segue. So what type of bias do you gentlemen think we can see based on AI and its development? Well, so certainly from the facial surveillance and recognition, there's a whole industry to try to collect information then track potentially that information on people who may have committed crimes and to identify people who've committed crimes. And you can see where it can have disastrous results, where you get innocent people or you have police profiling. Um, And I think in other areas, discrimination will be, you know, whose information is being collected? What sort of employees' information is it being collected? Is it the executive's at the highest levels, or it's the low-level employees whose information is being collected, and for what reason and why. And in that itself is inequity. Why are only certain employees being information collected and not others? What is the large language model being trained on? And so these raises all these ethical concerns, and the Europeans 
are against the facial recognition or the collection of that for the uh, AI training the models. Darren, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know if the, I think the feds are interested in that, but there's not like a, you cannot do this. It's like, you got to be aware of the, the discrimination aspect. That's right. The federal government has been taking a very cautious approach where they are, you know, from the White House down, you'll see lots of different actions where they're doing, I think they're walking towards the framework instead of running or rushing towards it. So they're doing a lot of studying and learning because, to be honest, nobody really knows what all of these capabilities are. The, the federal government talks about making sure that we unleash the tremendous positive of AI and the benefits to society. But at the same time, we manage the risks. And the first thing that come up when we talk about the risks are biases that are embedded in the data or that can come from whomever created the system. Yeah, I think, and just real quick, and it's a question for both Mary and Josh is, so we know in the healthcare space, and there's been testimony on this, that healthcare companies are using recordings of interactions between patient and doctors so that it is then analyzed by the large language models to improve patient care, but also to train uh, those models. Is that recording a voice print? Could a patient say, you didn't obtain my consent or I didn't, I wasn't aware of that consent that you're using it for my treatment or to train a model? I mean, I guess that could be another area where the plaintiff's bar tries to drag people in on BIPA. Well, and I think that that's something that could fall under that HIPAA exception that we were talking about, but it all goes down very specifically to what exactly are the facts and what exactly is happening with that data and when is it happening, right? If you collect a voice print, when is that voice print collected and does it fall within the statutory language of the exception or not? So I think that there's a lot of elements here that would have to be examined to figure out, could something like that be covered? Yeah, I, I agree with that. Although I would note, again, going back to the Mosby case and the section of BIPA at issue, it states in relevant part that accepted from BIPA it states that biometric identifiers do not include information captured from a patient in a healthcare setting. So arguably, that would be information captured from a patient in a healthcare setting. One of the things that's really interesting to me, especially from what Darren was speaking about a few minutes ago, Mary and I have been closely tracking and we have discussed on this podcast what is happening and other states with BIPA. And so far, legislative efforts to enact BIPA and other states have failed. There have been a few municipalities that have BIPA-type statutes, but Illinois still is the only state that allows for a private right of action. Texas and Washington State, of course, allow for attorney general enforcement. But given some of the issues about bias and other things, the concern is that biometrics plus AI could lead to the federal government, perhaps, or some states taking another look at whether they're going to or should enact Illinois BIPA-type laws. 
I think that's exactly right, Josh, because all governments on some level are concerned with the privacy of their citizens. Now, exactly how far that goes and what that means is an open question. But we've seen the legislatures in different states continually bring up BIPA-type statutes. And now that AI is so prevalent, I think that we're probably going to see the same type of thing. But I'm going to ask Darren and Sean that question. Well, while the federal government studies and tries to get their arms around understanding this and seems to be moving a bit slower, we're starting to see states, you know, come up and even local governments come up with different policy ideas to develop their own policy on AI. I know California very recently got out ahead of a, a bunch of other states with the California Privacy Protection Agency based upon a vote that was taken in 2020 by the entire electorate. We'll, we'll see how that shakes out in 2024 because the privacy board has a meeting coming up. They're going to be doing a lot of rulemaking and there's going to be debate and a comment period on that. But it looks like they're trying to regulate how businesses can use AI in the decisions that they make, like regarding housing, hiring and loans. Well, and it strikes me we may end up with this patchwork of AI laws across the country. And it just occurred to me, maybe we need the AI to figure out how do businesses actually address <laughs> those things. And I think even if you don't have, and this goes to the extraterritorial reach of BIPA, right? So we know in July of this year, a plaintiff's law firm filed a class action against OpenAI and Microsoft saying, the company violated BIPA by illegally collecting the facial geometry of Illinois consumers and using it to train OpenAI's generative AI image creator, Dolly. I can almost guarantee that OpenAI and Microsoft, if you're in that room with legal minds when they're developing this technology, I don't know if BIPA was on their radar. And these plaintiff's attorneys are being very creative and they're saying, we don't care if you're in California. We don't care where you're at. We found an Illinois resident that we think you took their data we think he violated BIPO, and this is our hook. And even if we don't get that other state laws, I think plaintiff's attorneys are going to continue to allege BIPA violations as the hook to go after these companies. Oh, there's not a doubt in my mind. It's already happening. I never mind the facts, never mind what's happening where, as long as you have an Illinois resident or someone who landed on an airplane in Illinois, they're alleging a BIPA violation. That is the very issue that we have up in front of an Illinois appellate court, because in this particular case, the only thing that happened in the state of Illinois is that a photograph was taken. That photograph, it is specifically excluded from regulation by the plain language of BIPA. You just need to read the statute. You look at what the Illinois Supreme Court has said about statutes in plain language. It's there. Anything that remotely occurred had nothing to do with the state of Illinois. And a state cannot reach outside of itself and regulate conduct that is occurring in another state. Illinois can't say, okay, I'm going to regulate the production of pineapples in Hawaii. It cannot reach out and say, oh, guess what? We're going to change what's going on in Texas. I think we have some political things going on right now that it would like to, but it can't do that because there are constitutional issues, fundamental legal issues. But that is not preventing these lawsuits from being filed. I'd like to add this, and this is a message to folks and trade groups industry, business groups that are listening to this podcast. It is my prediction 
that the plaintiff's bar is going to use AI and the fact that AI is so powerful and can make things multiply so quickly in a matter of seconds to really push Illinois BIPA-type legislation in just about any state and perhaps even at a national level. And I think that this is a critical issue that should be looked at to the extent that you have lobbyists and public relations folks, people with connections in Washington. I don't have the answer, but I just know that if I were on the plaintiff's side, I would be using AI as a tool to try to reintroduce BIPA-type legislation into all of these states. Well, and it's interesting you would say that because I understand that in the first half of this year alone, 36% of all employment-related BIPA complaints singled out the use of AI voice and facial recognition software. Wow. So you can already see that trend moving in that way with the plaintiff's bar. I mean, that's that, there's the tension right there. The innovation side, we got to train these large language models with all the data we have out there. And then the other side, we have concerns about privacy. And I think you're also going to see not only the plaintiff's bar, but individuals calling their local governments saying, I don't want what is going on. I don't want the AI Skynet machine having my biometric information. I think if you went to any individual on the street and said, are you comfortable that an AI machine learning large language model has your biometric information, people would be like, absolutely not. That's because everybody's seen the Terminator. Right. And I think you're absolutely right. I think the plaintiffs are going to go to Washington and they're going to go to the state houses. And we're not even getting into what uh, the state attorney generals are going to do without even laws that are on the books addressing this, but to do investigations on this. Um, and, and that's, you know, again, talking about where the puck is going. That's why any clients who are in this space or looking into this space need to understand the the levels that are there, the different levels, the different stakeholders. And to Darren's earlier point, understand how their voices can be heard, especially in Washington and in the local governments. That, that's right. The direction of the puck is actually being formed and shaped right now. The White House has, has been moving as cautiously as it can to study, learn, balance out supporting innovation, also raising questions about the risks, coaxing leaders from all over, not just industry, industry, but also nonprofits to develop a consensus about how we balance out supporting innovation, unleashing all this potential at the same time managing these risks. And Congress is doing the same thing. The White House can do what it can with its executive orders, but it's limited until it actually has laws on the books. It needs Congress to do that. And Congress has been studying this as well. There have been dozens of hearings on AI in every corner of Congress. The Energy and Commerce Committee just held one last week on AI and healthcare. The Senate Commerce Committee has been meeting on these things. But I can tell you, they're the same place we all are in society. How much do we really understand? Let's be careful not to overreach, but gosh, let's not let these things take over and, and have some of these risks be realized. But while they're thinking about all of that stuff, the AI is continuing to develop. And you have businesses in this country who are all hot and bothered about what can we do with AI and let's go full speed ahead. What I would say to those businesses is figure out how it is 
that you can use AI in a positive manner to impact your mission, whether that's to help your patients, to help other consumers, whatever it is, figure out how you can, can do this and figure out how you can also manage the risks and weigh in. Now's the time. So many people, whether we're talking about businesses, nonprofits, or whatever, they sit back and wait to see when laws are developed. Then they react. And by then, you'll often have unintended consequences, is what we call them in Washington, that need to later be amended. But now's the time. Skate to the puck, as my friend Sean or Mr. AI said earlier. Skate to that puck, and, and, and we can do that. Right, and I want to go back to something Sean said and underscored because I think it's so important. Right now, there's been no law passed by Congress. I'm not aware of any law in the states on AI. But you do have attorney general enforcement. And when it comes to BIPA, or biometric privacy concerns in AI, I don't see anything preventing state attorney generals in just about every state using existing privacy laws back to the sort of cyber data breach era to go after companies who they believe are misusing biometric data in their quest to develop and expand AI. Yeah, exactly. And I think that brings up uh, another subject. So you have you have the on one side of the coin, and this is where BIPA is implicated, where you have companies training their models, collecting the data and don't have potentially the consent. What you bring up is a point of the, the other side of that coin is protecting that data. Right. And so we've seen in the past where attorney generals of several states have sued companies when there's been massive data breaches that they said you didn't do enough to protect this data. Imagine if, and this brings up other issues of cybersecurity, imagine if there's a data breach, and you don't even have to imagine, there will be a data breach of all this information that has been collected. These attorney generals will say, not only did you not get these people's consent, it may have violated BIPA, but then you didn't protect that data. You didn't protect that data against these emerging AI threats. We're going to investigate you. It's an easy investigation. We think you violated the privacy laws. We think you violated uh, cybersecurity laws. We think you violated HIPAA. You you name it, and they can go in to do this. And and from the public standpoint, those lawsuits would be or investigations would be very powerful because there's like they didn't secure your unauthorized data. I mean, that's that's a headline that will not be looked upon negatively by most of the public, nor should it be. And just like the data breach cases, when that happens, the plaintiff's bar is next in line. The FTC already gave them the roadmap. Well, that is an excellent point. And we have heard so many interesting points during this episode of our podcast, and we cannot thank you enough for joining us. We're super excited because Sean and Darren are going to be starting their own inaugural podcast. And that podcast is going to be known as... Skate to the Puck. Skate to the Puck. We are really excited about that podcast and about the launch of it. And can't thank you guys enough for being here. I think it's been a really interesting discussion. Oh, it's our pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having us. Yep. Thank you very much. Thank you for coming. And we will be back with another episode of the BIPA podcast to talk about the latest developments soon. Looking forward to that. <laughs>